Hello and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I am the fan liaison officer at Level Playing Field. Today, I'm joined by the chair of Level Playing Field, Tony Taylor. Hello, Tony. Hi. <laughs> Caught you off guard there. <laughs> uh, also here is the chief executive, Owain Davis. Hello, Owain. Hi, Liam. Nice to be here. And uh, I, I have here also the development officer, <laughs> Daniel Townley. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Liam. You sound infused. <laughs> uh, so the day of this podcast release uh, we are recording this on thursday but on monday when this is released we will also be releasing the level playing field away fan survey we thought it'd be a good idea to gather the team to talk about the survey and what the impact of the survey may have as we look forward to next season and beyond so first owen i'm coming to you can you explain why we as a charity level playing field have conducted this survey and how was the survey completed? I think, firstly, we pride ourselves on representing the views of disabled sports fans. And, and for this, we need to take this absolutely seriously. And, and we, do, we do it generally as an organisation by, by reaching out, having lots of fan engagement through different types of platforms, whether it's forums, inquiries and so forth. But to get a really big focus on, on, a, on a key topic such as the away fan survey is that it, this gathers that information, that, that data that can hopefully impact and, and affect change. So as an organisation, we, we really want to represent the views of disabled fans, decisions for disabled people made by disabled people. And this forms an important cornerstone to that knowledge centre that we're really proud to kind of do. So basis of, of how we do it as an organisation, we four years ago, we set up a new strategy where we developed our, our pillars of work for, for the fans, where we offer the support for the fans, for the clubs, the support for the clubs, um, campaigns, and then the knowledge centre, which feeds into our work and everything that we do and hopefully to shape that change. Um, specifically to this survey is that you know, why did we conduct it? We've heard from fans for years about the away match day experience. We've heard of fans of not going to games because they don't get the experience that they want or they, that they require. You know, we've heard that anecdotally in different settings, in different environments. And it's also quite obviously plain to see on social media, people posting pictures of this is my view and the view is non-existent. This is, you know, my, my challenge is not traveling to the game and I can't get there. So all these aspects have fed into this factor of we need to do something about this. And I think broadly, football need to do, you know, away from disabled fans need to do more about the away fan experience anyway. So that forged, you know, that we got this information, we wanted to get more, we wanted to get the real life views of disabled fans. And that's kind of where it kind of went from. The process in developing this, we we created, you know, a first draft survey and took a period of engagement to work out that this was the best set of questions. And then and then from that we then released it amongst our, our contacts through disabled supporters associations, fans, and then also with clubs as well, um, and across broad social media platforms, and got got the kind of the responses that we required. I think it was north of six hundred and fifty fans got in uh, got in touch and gave us their views on a really important subject. Daniel, so you're kind of like the analytic, beautiful mind that we've got at a uh, level playing field, and, and you would kind of charge with bringing all this data together and, and producing. The, the results of the survey. The standout thing for me that came from the survey was that over half of the disabled fans who took part in the survey who don't currently attend away games did previously. So that sounds like supporters have just kind of given up on, on going to away games for whatever reason. 
What was the thing that kind of stood out for you from the results of this survey? There were a couple of things that, that did. I think the, 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 the main one that stuck out to me really was the uh, the poor views of the, of the match, which we knew about already. We, uh, we've had lots of feedback from supporters that you know they, uh, they struggled to view the match. But the fact that just, just under half of the respondents said that uh, poor view of the match was a barrier for them attending away matches is, is just massive. I, I kind of think, what's the point in, in going along to a match if you can't see it? You know, uh, if you're just stood and, and looking at the back of somebody's head the whole time, there's, no, there's not really a lot of point in being there. I mean, yes, you might get the, the atmosphere of the crowd, but at the end of the day, you're there to watch sport. The fact that it just just under half of respondents said that was an issue is, was the standout for me. Tony, in, in your opinion, what does the survey say about the state that sport, football in particular, is in regarding the away match day experience of a person who has a disability? I think, first of all, let me say, I think it's a really useful and, and helpful piece of uh, uh, of research and, and, and data for uh, sport as, as a whole. I think what it does do is reflect very ac- accurately that there's still a great deal of work to be done, particularly in football. That there's been great progress in terms of home games for disabled fans, but all, all too often when we get into the, the away game scenario, you know, many people, and I speak from personal experience, you feel as though you're a bit of an afterthought and just tagged on at the end of uh, a big long list of things that uh, need to be done. And I think the biggest fear that, uh, and this probably isn't uh, stated enough, is that they do often fear for their own safety, particularly when they're at those clubs where they uh, probably find themselves located with opposing fans. Now, I've got to say from personal experience, it's intimidating, it can be unpleasant, and it's potentially dangerous. So I think uh, you know that it's uh, it's important that we we look at these issues. And Tony, how do you hope clubs and sporting governing bodies and other fan organisations kind of receive this survey? Well, I hope, and I pretty much expect that they'll take it in good faith and that they will act upon our findings. I'm, I'm not going to go into all the the economic arguments about getting uh, disabled fans into uh, attending sporting events. Frank, frankly, it's not an economic issue. It's a, it's a moral one. But what I want to do is just add a, a quick proviso that I personally believe that sports as, as a whole are beacons of hope when it comes to disability. I mean, you know, I look at it in comparison with uh, some other industries and, and you know, I, I see so much uh, positivity in, in sport. Uh, and so much has been done, and I'm confident that sports in general, will continue to make progress. But minimum meeting of the Equality Act is simply not enough. Disabled spectators have a right to expect things to go above and beyond the ba- uh, meeting basic requirements. Daniel kind of touched on it a second ago, Iwine, about the basic requirement of actually just being able to see the game. But as Daniel said, 48% of respondents said that a poor match view was a barrier to attending away matches and sporting events. We know supporters standing contribute to sight lines being blocked. How as an organisation can we tackle this kind of issue that's been embedded into fan culture when you go to an away game? It is a big challenge for us to kind of to tackle. I think there's some things out there that we can we can use to our ad- advantage to kind of address this and to tackle this. And I think firstly is probably you know our awareness and understanding of the social model of disability. You know we're not disabled by our disability; we're disabled by how the environment is geared up. And if we focus around that and use that as a starting point, there are three key areas under that that we can we can look to address. And as a collective, we can make an advancement and we can make it an improvement. So the three areas are that physical infrastructure, that environment that we have, you know, is the venue fit for purpose? Does it have the, the relevant sight lines for fans and having the supporting facilities, going to the toilets, 
lowered counters, a suitable amount of accessible parking, accessible transport links, all of these elements contributing to that accessible, uh, that experience of getting to the game. And as Daniel said, just plainly watching the game, that's what you pay your, pay your money for. The second one's around the attitudes you know, the attitudes of, of fans in front. Can we educate the fan groups about the impact of standing? If you stand and then the person behind has to stand to watch that game, for some disabled people, that's not a possibility. So they miss out on that important key moment. That that I was there moment is not afforded to that person. That's why we go to sport is to be there. Otherwise, we'd all watch it at home. And, you know, and I think that's kind of what was a really important side. And then... Lastly, it's around the policies. What policies can we put in place and measures can we put in place to ensure that this is is checked regularly, that engagement with fans, looking at the experience on a, on a regular basis, not just kind of go at the beginning of the season, this is it, we'll deal with it at the end of the season. And by that point, it's too late. Loads of fans have had a poor experience. What can we do in the middle of the, of, of the season to identify what improvements that, that we can do from real life experiences as well that people attend there? And I think it's important about that, being open and hearing what are the real problems of coming to venue A, stadium A, and, and telling us these are the issues, this is how we can work around it, and reaching out to people as well, asking the questions. It may be for some venues that have to be a little bit vulnerable and kind of go, yeah, we're not getting this right, and that's fine. But let's work towards getting a better experience by listening to fans, engaging with experts, and getting the right right decision in place. Because after all, we don't watch live sport to watch live sport. And that's something that's really important to, to, to never forget, never neglect. And to, that, that's why people pay their money. So oh, I'm just kind of thinking that there may be supporters out there who are listening to this and going, well, my away day experience is rubbish. Like, so, so why, why are we just focusing on disability at the moment? Like, why, why aren't we focusing on the away day experience of everyone? I think that's an absolutely fair comment. And I think that it is a wider problem. And I think one of the words that we possibly mentioned already, if not, we've done it now, is collaboration. And we have to collaborate on all of this. Like, it's not just, you know, we'll protect, we'll protect our own interests and the, the views of disabled fans. We need to work together. So if we improve disabled fans' experience and, and raise awareness of the away match experience, then that will obviously evidently will support, raise awareness of the whole match day experience as well. It's an important part for us to harness and to, to kind of to push forward to understand how we can support everybody else as well. When you look at the, the match day experience for disabled fans, like we said at the moment, it's not it perhaps not great for all disabled fans and, and, and all fans. But if we use the point before that if a fan stands up in front, then the fan behind can stand up to watch that go. And the fan behind them can stand up to watch that go. And the fan behind them can stand up to watch that go. But when it comes to a wheelchair user behind those set of fans, they may not be able to stand up to watch that go. And therefore, it's not possible whatsoever. If a fan wants to go to the toilet, and they, you know, and and there's plenty of options available, and they can do that. The disabled fan can only go to a select number of toilets, so we need to preserve that and then to ensure that 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 option is available for fans to be able to kind of go and do that. We need to understand specifically the access requirements and the access, uh, the the accessible features that we need to make this possible for disabled fans to watch a game, and, and in short, like. Yes, really, it's more limited the facilities uh, that disabled fans can access versus the facilities and the options that a non-disabled fan can access and can do to ensure that they watch the game. 
the power, I guess, more is in the non-disabled hands to be able to work around any particular issue, as we mentioned with the sight lines. So something else that kind of, I, I think, highlighted itself in the survey, Daniel, was that nearly a quarter of fans who took part in the survey stated that a barrier regarding attending was a lack of support of disability awareness from club staff. Now, your work away from when we throw a load of numbers at you at a level playing field is that you provide accessible training to clubs and stewards. Were you surprised by this result? And, and, and what do you think needs to be done to improve the perception of a match day staff? Sadly, I wasn't surprised. I think in, you know, in the sort of interactions that we have with both clubs and disabled fans, we are kind of, we've become aware that, you know, that there are lots of situations where sadly stewards just don't have that confidence to uh, interact well with disabled supporters and um, to be able to assist and support them in the right way. So yeah, there is there is definitely definitely like a, a lack of that disability awareness. That said, you know, lots of the comments in the survey um, were mixed. You know, there were some positive comments. We did have some supporters get in touch to say actually they are very well supported by staff and stewards. Sadly, the majority were not positive. You know, as a, as a, as a charity, uh, we we do provide. Uh, disability awareness training for frontline staff for stewards and clubs clubs can get in touch with us uh, that's uh, something that we can provide yeah it's something that clubs really need to to take seriously and i think one of the big issues is just the high turnover for stewards or that they get stewards in just for one or two matches and so it, it can be difficult to kind of keep that consistency of those staff who are interacting with stewards on a on a day by day basis or week by week basis but definitely clubs should make sure that all of their frontline staff have at least a kind of a, a good baseline understanding of of disability awareness issues and uh, what needs to be done to support fans do you do you think there's an argument to say that clubs should employ a handful of staff steward staff who are trained in disability and, and keep them on the book so they're there for match by match and also going on the way days. Yeah, there, there are lots of uh, lots of clubs now who have sort of dedicated either accessibility stewards or, or disability support stewards um, who you know have, have primary responsibility for you know supporting disabled fans. I, w- I would say I think it's still important for all stewards to have confidence in that area um, and not to just sort of leave it to one or two sort of designated or dedicated stewards. But yeah, certainly you know if you have those sort of few individuals who maybe have additional knowledge who have had extra training, and uh, that that can only really help. I think that recently as well with some of the research that we've done, you know that they some of the feedback that we've had from supporters is that they'd like to see something like a neurodiversity champion or something like that at a club and um, somebody who really has a better understanding of particular areas of disability where they can support fans in a in a much more um knowledgeable way really the other important factor that you know around stewarding that we need to really consider is that it, if there's a number of clubs who use agency stewarding and an agency stewarding is obviously is is where the obviously the responsibility of the training and the ownership of that is is to a third party and i think the club's expectation and accountability and about how they ensure that they get the same the same level of expectation across to to those third those third party agency stewards is, is a really important factor that we need to consider as well it can't be a case that you know where uh, you know if a complaint comes in about stewarding and then the club's response is well they're agency steward staff and that's kind of the abdication of the kind of it's not my necessarily a responsibility we can't have that and, that and that's a really important side that we need to kind of consider but what i wanted also to say as well like you know we we do this the, the, you know this is a key area that we need to tackle and there's a key area that we need to really focus on but there's some really good 
pieces of work that's going on by 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 clubs as well. You know, we we're seeing at the moment that there's a lot of clubs when they go on away games, they're sending their own staff, own disability access officers, own disability liaison officers to grounds as well to support and assist disabled fans in their match day experience and and supporting with clubs as well. So so being that designated point of contact, giving confidence. Um, you know, for people to kind of to do traveling and to and to you know getting to the venue as well. So the, the, these these kind of things as well will also help. You know, in that staffing in that customer facing area that will really help fans um, to have a better experience. Tony, one of the things I think the media will pick up from our survey, and they should pick up all of it, but I think they'll highlight this one in particular is that from the survey, it, it told us that just under half the respondents stated that they have experienced some form of abuse or negative attitudes at an away game in the last five years. Are, are you personally surprised by that? Certainly not. It's something I've experienced my ter- my, myself, and I can tell you it's a, it's a pretty unpleasant experience. But I think in many ways it's it's not just a football issue. I, mean, you know, I think we've seen a, a polarisation of views in, in society in recent years, something, something I've personally deplored and this has made it almost acceptable for uh, abusive or aggressive behavior to be seen as acceptable to some people um, now some years ago i was uh, uh, i was assaulted at a match and, and the reaction of the police to this was well we can't do anything it's it's just football Can you believe that we can't do anything it's just football you know i certainly think the attitude of the authorities has changed considerably but i do still think that background feeling is still there in the environment that it, it's a uniquely football matter and, and it isn't and it needs to be dealt with. Talking to fans myself, Owen, I've heard it a lot and I think the media have picked up on it as well. For some reason this season, it's, it seems to feel different going to a game. There, there seems to be a heightened amount of antisocial behaviour and we, we've had multiple reports and complaints about abusive behaviour and language towards disabled supporters. One such complaint of home fans chanting the S word to away fans. Do you, do you think non-disabled fans' attitudes towards disability have gone backwards in the last five years? Or do you think it's just something that's being highlighted now because we're more focused on it, so therefore we're talking about it a lot more and engaging in it a lot more? I think that we, you know, we've, we've come from a position where you know we've had the pandemic we've had the fan led review we've had the uh, you know the european super league breakaway where fans have had all these kind of frustrations we're coming back to support and and it's kind of created this kind of environment i want to support harder i want to kind of get into it now sometimes in football you know the there's a, there's a sense and it's not for everyone. And they important to stress that, that there's, a, there's kind of almost like a different set of rules that, you know, you can do different kind of things in the, in the ground. You can say different things. You can get away with a few different things. And that's completely, when, you know, when it comes to discrimination and, and, you know, and across all protected characteristics, it's not okay. It's completely not okay. And that is a really big issue. Now, I, I believe in the second part of your point of what you said. I think people are becoming more aware of what abuse is, what discrimination sounds like, what it looks like. And people are perhaps previously thinking that nothing will get done and therefore I'm not going to say anything and we'll leave it at that. But now they're seeing visible things, maybe in different protected characteristics, maybe maybe that there is about disability awareness, that they're coming forward and they're raising it and they're not settling for this level of abuse. And that's and that's completely right. We should never settle for this, regardless of how small or if it's indirect or direct, it's not okay. And we need to raise awareness of it. We need to educate people about the impact of it. That words are 
you know, if if somebody hears something, that might that might mean that might be a reason for them not going to a game next week because that fear of that abuse, and that's incredibly powerful. Just from something coming from your mouth is making somebody not being able to go to a game. We need to really understand that the impact of what we do and how we act and what we say will have a significant impact to others. Personally, from disability, we need to educate more about what disability abuse is what that particularly looks like, what the language is, that, you know, it, it, we, we see it in race and the kind of the impact, right, and rightly so that people are, are, you know, being dealt with appropriately, but we also need to really ensure that that happens with disability as well. Yeah, I make one comment about the police and here they yeah, go. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> dealt with appropriately and then the side comes straight <laughs> Daniel? One of the stats in the, in the survey was that 13% of respondents said that fear of disability abuse was actually a barrier for them when attending away matches. So, I mean, that's the tangible evidence that it's, it's not just us making that up. You know, fans are telling us that they... That, that, that is a real barrier for them, that, that, that fear of, you know, attending matches that they're going to be abused in some way, you know, is putting people off attending and, and is, is a barrier for them. I think what's really important and kind of I want to touch on it is that people do speak up and, and they do raise these issues and they do come to level playing field if they, if they want to and, and we can take it on their behalf because I think uh, uh, there's a lot of attitudes, as Owen said, that nothing is going to happen or there's an attitude of um, I've had this kind of abuse all my life it doesn't really matter anymore. Like I'm just, it's kind of just, I'm used to it. It's water off a duck's back. And I, I think that needs to change attitude wise that actually, no, it's not okay for, for people to talk to you in that way, or it's not okay for people to say certain words. So I really think it's important that people listening to this, if this happens to you, that you do raise it with your club, you raise it with us or you raise it with a steward because it, it's essentially saying, no, not going to stand for this anymore. And, and we need to change those attitudes with education but also with with action as as well. Tony, I want to I want to move away from that kind of area but and talk about how actually fans get to games. So in the survey by a considerable margin, 54% of supporters stated that they attend away games in their cars, followed by 26% saying that they attend um, by using official club transport. There might be an argument of that people are using their own cars because public transport isn't fit for purpose or that going on the club uh, buses isn't accessible. Do you think there is an argument to say that clubs who are not providing accessible transport could be seen as discriminatory towards fans who might need it? That's a good question. I'll leave it to the lawyers to, to answer it uh, from a legal point of view. I think, I think it's fair to say that travel is probably the the biggest issue facing anyone with a, with a disability who wants to uh, attend the match. And I think, I think our, the stats show quite clearly that there are some people who want to go on organised tra- transport and there's others who want to make their, their own way. But I think this is an area where it's really important that clubs speak with their disabled supporters associations and their disabled supporters in general to gauge their feedback. I'm, you know, I fully recognise that not all disabled supporters are necessarily members of DSAs. I'd, I'd certainly encourage them to join, of course. But it's important that clubs gain a gain a consensus. But in general, yes, the facility to travel on uh, appropriate facilities organised through the club would be something that that I think would be very positive for for all concerned. I think it would uh, allay the fears of, of a lot of people, particularly those who want to. Uh, take advantage of it but there will still be a, a large number of people who want to make their own way and who prefer to make their own way 
so with that in mind, then with such a high proportion of fans wanting to to travel in their own transport, Daniel, can you give us a bit of context behind kind of what clubs have to provide regarding away accessible parking? And is there does this survey kind of lean to that clubs may want to think about increasing that allocation? So the the legislation is that a minimum of six percent of all the parking spaces available uh, at a club would be allocated as accessible parking spaces. Um, and then obviously only, uh, you know, some of that will then be allocated to away supporters. So it's, it's obviously quite a, a small number of, of spaces that will be purely for away supporters, away disabled supporters. Given the stat that we've that we've sort of found here that so many uh, are traveling by car. Actually, I, I do think that, that that clubs should look at that and, and, and really think, you know, is there something we could do to increase that uh, percentage, increase that amount that we're providing? You know, at the same time, we, we are aware that. Pretty much all clubs have got limited uh, space, and um, and you know you can't just manufacture additional space. But it's it's about providing the choice as well. You know, lots of people are travelling by car because there's no other options. Uh, that you know either the, the the train access isn't good, or uh, other public transport access isn't good, or the uh, the the official club transport is not accessible. So it's making sure that all of those other options are accessible as well, making sure that the supporters have that choice that non-disabled supporters have to, to attend however they would want to. So as the fan liaison officer, I, I'm probably cynical by nature. So, uh, Daniel, I'm, I'm coming to you to give us some kind of positivity from this survey. What, what, what positives did come from the survey that we can tell people? Yeah, so there, there were some positives. Yeah, I um, yeah, appreciate that we've uh, been speaking quite a lot about negatives, but there were some positives from it. Um, as I said earlier on, yeah, there were some positive comments. Uh, we, we left an option for fans just to respond with any any match day experience, and lots of them said uh, about sort of feeling like they've, they've been treated well and, and that the, uh, the staff generally at away games have been uh, helpful. So there's some positives there. There was also positives around the ratings as well. Um, people, we asked people to rate their, their kind of overall match experience. And actually twice as many people rated it as good than rated it as poor. And just over twice as many as well rated it as excellent as opposed to awful. So um, it, it sort of did skew more positive than negative on the whole, which is uh, is good. But obviously we're wanting it to go a lot more positive than negative we want to <laughs> reduce those awful ones altogether uh that's obviously where we're, where we're aiming for but yeah definitely some positives to take away from as well kind of wrap up now so i'll leave this as a, my last question to everyone uh, so when we're talking about subject matters like improving the match day for disabled fans usually the stock answer is things are improving it's happening but it will take time we're getting there I mean, what can be done for next season to improve the away match day experience for disabled supporters? So it's not that kind of stock, things are happening, it's improving, it's taking time. Review and reflect on the season that's just gone and look at the feedback that you have had, but not, and, 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 and obviously kind of list any key issues and, and then collate them into key areas. So if it is about, if you've had, you know, your, your 20 fixtures, 80, however many you have that season, and there's, you know, a lot of them on site lines, start grouping them into key areas. Is it is it around attitudes? Is it staff attitudes, staff awareness, staff? Tr- and then that creates the list of things that we need to tackle. But also what I'd really urge is to is to go out and ha- and ask targeted questions. We have a great network of disabled supporters associations. So a club going to an away club DSA to say you visited this year, can you tell me what was your experience like in the away end? What could we do to improve and to get that feedback and feed that in 
and then is to put it into a real realistic strategy if you are serious about making a difference create a strategy create a plan uh, which is which we have had engagement from it's delivered for disabled people by disabled people and input from experts and then that will then allow us to go on a on a journey or direction towards improvement to a better experience and and it'll also help us allow to financially plan it out from a cost perspective as a part of a strategy so you can then share that strategy and to demonstrate instead of those stock answers that you mentioned liam is that something that this is actually really tangible this is happening in year one we're going to have these five improvements and that's really powerful to kind of make you know to bring people along on this journey and to show that the match experience for fans it is really important. We've heard through the pandemic, football is nothing without fans. But now it's time to really, you know, to come true with that with that statement and to say we're really going to maximise this match experience for fans and away fans. Uh, just reiterating what Owen said, really, uh, invite feedback. Don't be afraid of of, uh, of comments and feedback. And, and when we pass on feedback as as level playing field, when we pass on feedback to clubs, please do engage with us and and actually take that on board. Listen to what's being said by fans and respond to the supporters. Yeah, you know, that's just an absolutely massive thing. So often supporters feel like they're not heard, that they're not taken seriously. So actually just like acknowledging yes we've heard what you said we're taking this on board we're working towards a solution that just it goes such a long way making sure that you have a an effective process whereby supporters can leave feedback and particularly report any abuse um you know do do fans are you making it clear to fans how they can you know raise that you know do they need to go and speak to a steward is there you know some process online where they can report anything um you know make it clear to fans how they can yeah, give that feedback from, from their experience. If you are listening from a club, um, there is a whole page in that survey summary uh, in the conclusion section of suggestions and things that clubs can do to improve. So do take a look at that. I think Daniel and Owen have both come up with some really uh, sensible and uh, uh, well thought out practical examples of what could be done within the context of uh, next uh, next season. I'm going to go a little bit ab- abstract, if, uh, if you don't mind. And um, part of my thunder was, was stolen by Owen uh, a little bit earlier when he was talking about the social model, because I think that really is uh, an important issue. And we we have seen during the uh, uh, the pandemic and lockdowns a bit of an, an explosion of uh, uh, concentration on the medical model of disability, where we talk about the fact that I can't do something because I have this particular disability or whatever. And that is very disappointing. Uh, we saw it particularly with some of the test events, uh, with the exclusion of uh, clinically extremely vulnerable people, for instance. And I was delighted that Level Playing Field was successfully able to to challenge the government about that and get that, uh, get that changed. But it is creeping in. And uh, I think it's important that we, as a, as a as an organisation, as a as our membership, as a, a society in general, gets back to moving towards that social model, so that we talk about how we can enable people to get to to sporting events rather than uh, looking at the the obstacles. So it's a, it's a mode of thinking that I think is uh, is very important, and I, I think we can see changes very quickly if we if we change that viewpoint. Of course, you know, I, I recognise the arguments that uh, you've outlined there, and I accept quite clearly that there are some changes that are, are fairly incremental and, and small that can be implemented quickly. But I also acknowledge that there are, will be some that involve uh, quite an extensive capital outlay. But 
that sport as a whole is a fairly wealthy sector. Uh, and I believe it can be done. I believe it should be done. I'll tell you what, it must be done. What I would say is that this isn't kind of a, a, a one and done. This is something that Level Playing Field will be focusing massively on moving forward. As always, we want to be part of the solution. We don't want to just bring the problems. So uh, keep an eye out if you are a club or if you're a DSA or if you want to know more about what we're doing at Level Playing Field to try and improve the away match day experience. Come visit us at levelplayingfield.org.uk or you can follow us on social media. Uh, just uh, search for Level Playing Field. Uh, Daniel, Owen, and Tony, thank you so much for having this chat with me. And we will be back in a month's time with another subject matter. Uh, but in, until then, if you're going to a game, even though it's close season, enjoy it and be well. <laughs>